Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Young Warrior Society podcast, or YWS for short. YWS is a true grassroots movement located in Georgia. We are a group of young patriots looking to educate, inspire, and foster change among young Americans so they feel equipped to fight for their God-given rights and against all forms of tyranny. My name is Will, and less than a week ago, one of our groups, or excuse me, one of the groups that YWS supports brought on a very special guest who has been fighting against human trafficking, specifically child human sex trafficking, for decades. This episode will be like none other simply because of the weight of this content discussed. But God is good, and there are heroes out there fighting the good fight. With that being said, this will, once again, be an episode that will provide value for all Americans, both young and old, so don't feel excluded if you're like, I'm not under 30. That is not an excuse. Please listen. But thank you again for tuning in, and please make sure you listen to the end all the way through and share, share, share this podcast because that is the best way to support us right now. And you can also support us by checking out and sharing our website. Literally, our website has everything. All of our socials, Instagram, TikTok, it's got resources. We've got documents on all kinds of stuff. And we want you to look at the website and tell us what you want to see out of the website. So what is the website? www.youngwarriorsociety.org. Again, that's www.youngwarriorsociety.org. And one last thing before we get into it, I do want to apologize. There isn't a lot, but there's a there's like a small section where there's some weird background noise. We're using the app, um, the Telegram app to host these interviews and people tune in similar to like a Zoom call. So with that being said, if they aren't muted on their end, they can be heard and or the noises that they make can be heard. So please... If you're tuning in to these calls live, um, you know, we appreciate everyone that comes in for sure, but please double, triple, quadruple check your mute status so that we can hear the guests clearly and we can provide as much value as possible. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now, without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce you fine folks to Mr. Bob Rogers. Thank you so much, Bob, for joining us tonight. Tonight we're speaking with Bob Rogers, who's the CEO of Street Grace. Um, he has an amazing record with this amazing organization. Um, their record is incredible. They have so many awards and so much to be proud of. And we're just going to be more excited to have you speak to our group tonight. We appreciate your time because we know that this is a busy month for you, being that it's Human Trafficking Awareness Month and you're being requested to be everywhere all at once. Um, for those that are listening, they may not know that uh, Street Grace was named the second most effective brand of the year in 2020 at the Effie Awards. And Street Grace was also recognized as one of the top innovative technology companies by the Georgia Technology Association. And you've also received the 2019 Impact Regional Business Award for the nonprofit category. And that's just a few of very many awards that they have received. Um, and it just highlights the effectiveness of all your initiatives. For, for me, this is an issue that I've probably been aware of to some degree for probably 12 or 13 years prior to coming to street race i was the president of richmond graduate university with a campus here in atlanta and a campus in chattanooga and we had become interested in the topic of trafficking because we would graduate 60 or 75 master's level counselors every year um, many of them taking specializations and certifications in sexual trauma and, 
and all of the other kind of ancillary things that would be related to those type of issues. So we had professors that were out speaking, doing training, and we were learning more and more as an institution about the issue. One day I was walking down the campus in Chattanooga and saw that we had a human trafficking organization in as a guest speaker for the, for, uh, to meet with the students one day. And I you know, said, you know, I'll do the, the, the good presidential thing and I'll stick my head in the back of the room for 10 minutes before I head to my luncheon. And 55 minutes later, I was still standing there. And, um, and I don't remember everything that was talked about. I don't remember all the stories, all the facts and all the data. What I remember is that at the end of the 55 minutes, the gentleman that was up front <clears throat> was telling a story about a sting operation that had just taken place in Chattanooga. And in this particular situation, the trafficker actually delivered uh, the young lady to the hotel where the sting operation was occurring. And that was pretty rare and a pretty unusual thing. You know, traffickers don't tend to come out of the shadows. And so when he did and she got out of the car, police arrested him in the parking lot and brought him upstairs and were waiting on transportation and things like that. And and the guy had an opportunity to speak to him. And he said, man, these guys, you know, all said that they knew you by name and that you've been arrested three other times for drug trafficking. If you're, you know, quote, in quote, you know, successful at drug trafficking, why on earth? Are you doing sex trafficking or getting involved in the gap? And, and the guy wasn't angry. He wasn't mad. He wasn't bitter. He just looked up and said, because I can sell a bag of drugs once. I can sell a 13-year-old girl six or eight times a night. Um, I, I'm embarrassed to say that had never hit me until that moment. And I felt like somebody just dropped a 55-gallon drum of yuck all over me. And I stood in the back of the room, almost just kind of frozen in the moment. And the, the, the session was over. I went through the rest of the day and couldn't shake it. Went back to the hotel room that night. Was laying there about 9, 30, 10 o'clock at the Marriott in Chattanooga. And just, I, again, I couldn't shake it. I just thought, if, if what he said today is true, there's somebody in Chattanooga and there's somebody or bodies in Atlanta that are in a situation like that tonight. And they're waiting and looking and hoping and praying for somebody to come through the door and help in. And I knew kicking down doors wasn't probably ever going to be my specialty. Um, but, but I wanted to find a way to help. And so I, I just remember talking to my wife and I kind of went through this process for really almost a year of just kind of, you know, do you walk away from a salary and a company car and a contract and step into the not-for-profit world in a different capacity and it really kind of through a series of conversations came to the point for me where it was a matter of I would I would rather try it and be wrong than, than wonder for the rest of my life. And that's the process that kind of started me looking and eventually led me to street race. I will try to make the rest of my answer shorter. I apologize. Oh, no, that started right out there. <laughs> no, that was perfect. And I loved hearing that story because I... That's what always we always ask when we have someone new join our group. What brought you here? Because, you know, and the one thing that keeps coming back to, it's almost like a God moment that, and there was a gentleman at the movie premiere last night that spoke. And it was just crazy. Somebody gave him a business card about foster children. He didn't, didn't know why he, they, that person handed him the card. And then the next two days, somebody from the church, his church called and asked about, do you know anybody that 
works in foster care and just how it, everything just seems to snowball. Sometimes it's just that one thing. And that is so yeah. true that these, that's right. That's why this is surpassing drug trafficking almost because drugs, a one-time sale and people can be resold over and over. It's so sad. Yeah. And yes, you're right. So thank you for, um, for that. I just think that's amazing that you actually acted on that and you completely flipped the script and, what a, what an amazing thing that that is for all of us because now our community will be safer because you're there. Um, yeah, but you, you know, and, and I'm I'm grateful for what you're saying. I, I really am. So I'm not, I'm not minimizing that. Um, but what I truly believe is um, we all have a question we have to answer. For me, it just kind of it's it, it was one of those that said, okay, now I know what am I going to do. Um, and, and really everybody that will listen to this or that's on this call is either working themselves towards that question or they've already answered it. And so I, I don't think there are, you know, big yeses and little no's or big yeses and little, uh, and little yeses. I, I think it's a matter of that we all wrestle with the question and then we decide what's the right role that I'm supposed to play in this because this is something that I think is near and dear to God's heart. I also think that it is something that no matter what your faith, belief, or background, or or the absence of it, it's pretty easy to agree that this is wrong. Um, so I think we all have to say, now I know, at some point, now I know, what am I going to do about it? And it's completely appropriate for our answers to look different. If everybody resigned their job and started it, or went to work for a not-for-profit tomorrow, then we'd have trouble finding donors. <laughs> so so I, I think it's a good thing that we're all in it together. Well, um, with with that question, I wanted to ask you now. What you, we know what you're doing um, to help with this cause. What is it that you feel that we can do to help raise or increase awareness for trafficking and all its forms in Georgia? We're trying to impact the communities that we're in. Um, so, just sort of give us a little overview of the, the current state of trafficking in Atlanta and the area that we're in. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I think it's one of those things that no matter, I, I do my best to stay away from statistics because we can find a statistic to validate anything we want. I think the facts and um, and and it, it's kind of obvious based on the magnitude of the issue that Atlanta has a problem and Atlanta has had a problem. Atlanta, um, in my opinion, has made some really good steps in the last five to 10 years, but especially the last five, you know, as we as we try to figure out how do we this is a community problem, right? It's not a law enforcement problem. It's not a political problem. It's not, you know, a corporate problem. This is a community problem. So as a community, the citizens of Atlanta decide every day what they'll tolerate, and what they won't. Um, and as this issue has become so much more a front burner issue and um, and that's probably diminished a little bit during the pandemic um, because everything probably has except for, you know, anything related to COVID and, and the way that it's been, you know, managed and whatever your issue is, it's been politicized. Um, but I think if you look at the issue of trafficking, what's working right now, what's having the most impact is the community coming together on it. Um, you mentioned some things that, that we had done and acknowledged or awarded. Um, in the introduction, every one of those things happen because in an NGO by the name of Street Grace, people in the community 
and legislators and corporate um, uh, organizations came together around an issue. So um, I'm excited about the progress that's being made. Yes, there are things that are frustrating. Yes, there are things that we need to do more of. We can celebrate the the policy advances that we have made and simultaneously understand the need to do more. Um, And so I think as long as we kind of wrestle with those, you guys candidly are doing what needs to happen. And that is you're having conversations, not just public conversations where you get attention, you're having private conversations that matter where people truly learn and decide how to engage with an issue. I mean, you got a group here with what, 700 or almost 800 members in it um, that are interacting at some level at some point in time, just this conversation right now. I mean, there there's 75 people that have chosen to be here instead of watching the UGA Alabama game. Um, that's commitment. So, so I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about the way that organizations, the faith community, especially, and citizens are coming together because as they learn more about it, they're less intimidated by it and they're more willing to get engaged. So we're moving beyond just general awareness and we're moving into some real um, strategic approaches and partnerships to help end this issue. Now, um, I know one thing y'all did to raise awareness that I really, that really touched me and um, it really opened my eyes. It was your stop traffic campaign. And yeah. if you would just briefly explain that to those that are listening. Yeah, um, the, the full kind of video vignette of that is available on streetrace.org. Um, and at stoptraffic.org uh, as well. But but prior to the Super Bowl, there had been so much training and conversation and planning around the issue of trafficking. And, and we were a part of that and grateful for it. Um, but we wanted to do something that really brought a laser focus to it. So um, we partnered with BBDO, which is the largest and most awarded advertising firm on the globe. Um, and, um, and partnered with them and started looking at this idea of how do we raise awareness um, about this issue? And we said, you know what? Everybody knows what a school bus is. What if we had 36, I mean, 75 school buses to represent 3,600 kids um, and we wrapped those school buses in messaging and we put messaging on the top of the school buses and we got you know, law enforcement to create a convoy and the Department of Transportation to work with us on the lights and all of that kind of stuff. And, um, and, and this is a great example of how big things can happen when lots of people play different roles in it. There were probably 45 or 50 law enforcement agencies, state and government organizations and departments. Um, I mean, when you, when you have a convoy of 75 school buses, you've got a convoy that's more than a mile long. You got 75 school bus drivers that you're renting from a school district and you've got everything it takes to kind of navigate through that. And so we did this um, and um, and we did it and then we you know, took the convoy down and circled down and did a press conference down at um, Atlantic Station and then moved the convoy over to Mercedes-Benz stadium and then back around just to kind of illustrate the point and there were helicopters and news copters that were following it and the issue and the illustration was if if this minor inconvenience um to your traffic on january 2nd or 3rd frustrated you imagine what it must feel like to be caught up in trafficking and help us stop it 
Um, and so we knew that it would be a, a nice event for the city. What we didn't anticipate is within, I think it is within 72 hours or so, it was picked up by almost 500 media outlets around the country. Um, it was, um, ex- there was, a, I think the number was about 64, or 65 million people that were exposed to it because of the peak that, that being picked up by all the media stations around the country. Two or three days later, I was in Houston was on an elevator at a hotel and was there doing some interviews and the manager got on the hotel i mean on the elevator with me riding down and said hey i've seen you in the lobby what are you doing i'm interviewing for an organization that i work for he said what do you do i said it's a not-for-profit that fights child sex trafficking and he said oh did you see that big thing that was on the news the other day about all those school buses that were lined up and i just you know smiled and said, I actually did. That was a really cool event. But that was from Atlanta to Houston, Texas in about four days um, and just a, a casual ride on an elevator. So uh, I would encourage you to look at there's some powerful, powerful testimonies. Um, and it's a powerful illustration um, to help raise awareness about an issue. And, and in fact, in, in two weeks, there's a, a nationwide event that's occurring. And that bus stunt is being played as the opening scene for that nationwide event that's occurring because it's still just so potent. Well, thank you for sharing that. I just, that is, that was a great way to, to bring awareness and to get media attention and to put a spotlight on what's going on. I just, I'm glad that we got to hear more about um, that, that awareness. And we're trying to find things to do in our community, maybe not on that scale, but on you know things that we can do at the schools to draw attention because for 9-11 at my son's high school they have a memorial they put the flags out on the front lawn for every person that um passed away on 9-11 i was thinking yeah. what, what a great way it would be if we get at schools to do something like that to show how many kids are being sold or um something like that to raise awareness so we're looking at things on a smaller scale like that so if you have any any ideas for us and how, because we're an action oriented group, the things like that, that we can do to help you and other nonprofits really to shine a light on the trafficking. And, um, and again, that brings me to another question because there are yeah. a lot of organizations. So how do you, um, how do y'all position yourselves in regards to some of the other nonprofits and, and what are your, like your goals and priorities, priorities that you see ahead of the future? Yeah, I, I think um, to answer the first part of the question, one of the things that's, um, I think, good, in, especially in Atlanta and some of the other larger metropolitan cities, is that there's kind of been this maturing of the issue. Um, we've moved, again, from the general, everybody's focused is to raise awareness, and then we've kind of naturally grown into this you know, human trafficking 2.0 or 3.0, depending upon who you talk to, and that is... And I think that's part of what we're experiencing in Atlanta right now that is making some things more effective and more impactful than they might would have been historically. So there are great organizations in Atlanta, and you guys know some or many of them that are um, involved in rescue work and restorative care and ongoing residential programs. Um, and there are some that focus on just immigration-related issues. And so one of the things that's happen- happening and happened is that as we have matured, we figured out what we each individually, what our individual organizations are good at, and we are all working harder at complementing rather than duplicating. 
Um, and so one of the things that is just kind of, I think that's a natural growth of any kind of cause related response. And that is initially everybody's fighting for attention to raise awareness. And then we begin to figure out what we're good at. And so there are, when, when we have calls for somebody that is ready to, you know, make a change or escape or get out of the life, we know exactly who we call. If we have calls and we stumble into a situation where somebody needs residential short-term crisis or long-term care, we have a list of folks that we call. Um, when it comes to training and leadership academy and working in middle schools and high schools, there are lots of organizations that will call or look to us. Um, when it comes to the utilizing technology and this issue of targeting the demand and removing the cloak of anonymity that buyers of sex and traffickers so often just thrive underneath, folks tend to call and think about us. So there's been this idea of us all figuring out what we do well and we can move to a complementary place rather than a competitive place. Um, and so there's the, the, the maturing as well as that in the idea of there's not just one dollar out there. So if you and I work, if, if we work with another organization on an issue, it's not a matter of do they get, you know, 80 cents and we get 20 or do we get 20 and they, you know, the other way around. It, it's a matter of what's the most impactful thing that we do and smart and educated um, donors are engaging at a higher and higher level and looking for solution oriented stuff. And so I, I think all of that is causing us all to be better at what we do. When we look at, you know, kind of our goals and what's next for us, we're in the process of, um, of we beta tested over the summer and fall of last year, even as COVID was raging, um, some youth leadership academy stuff in middle schools and high schools. And we tested it in Houston. We're now um, looking for um, and starting to launch some beta tests of that in, um, in Atlanta around Gwinnett and the Johns Creek area initially. And then we will expand it beyond that. But it's a seven week course for middle schoolers or high schoolers that talks about leadership. It's not a seven week course on sexual exploitation. It's a seven week course on leadership because leadership transfers, leadership carries, leadership grows with you. In the course of that, you will learn about inappropriate touch. You will learn about the harmful effects of pornography. You will learn about how to protect yourself and your friends online. You will learn how to make a report or how to share information under the guise that all secrets aren't always meant to be kept. Um, and so there's ideas and themes and big ideas that come out of that. But that's one of the things that we're, that we're fully engaged with and really leaning into. We continue to work heavily, um, especially through Kamala and Jamie and, um, and Faith, who is our survivor leader on the team, uh, into the policy and advocacy work, um, helping make sure that legislation is shaped in a way that allows for um, arrests to successfully occur and then prosecutions to successfully occur. We all know that as you look back over the last 10 years, one of the things that easily grabs a headline is when there's a sting operation and 63 people get arrested. Um, what, what you don't often see is that, you know, six or eight months later, only two have been prosecuted. Um, and so helping to allow these things to stick. And, and I got to say, our legislative body in, in Georgia has been really helpful on this. Um, you know, the Kemp's have made it an issue. 
and have made some good steps. The folks that were before the Kemp's and the folks that were before them made it an issue um, because this is this is this idea of child sexual exploitation. We could just you know I meet people all the time that don't know a whole lot about it, but I haven't met anybody yet that's for it. Um, and so we're able to to make progress. Sometimes it's little steps. Sometimes it's big steps. Sometimes it's correcting a step, but but we've continued to make progress year after year, and we're really getting into the heavy lifting now of prosecuting and having um, penalties and, and things that stick for buyers of sex and traffickers and providing services that are needed for those who have been victimized by it. Um, so, so in the state, we have more work to do. But simultaneously, we can be proud of the work that we're doing as well. And our law enforcement community from you know, FBI to the GBI um, and, and local law enforcement communities um, are truly, they care genuinely about this. I, I, I think it's really hard for me to even come up with an, a, a law enforcement um, group or community or organization around the state that we haven't had really good success with when we've taken them legitimate issues they can be acted on. Um, well, I think I might jump ahead on a question since you already brought up um, some of the, the legislative aspect. And, um, you know, we're, like I said, we're a very action-oriented group and highly engaged, and we are looking for um, more ways to get training for ourselves. And I know that you all have some policy training coming up, and you have Advocacy Day, um, but it's something that's unique um, for y'all. And, and y'all have done so much work on the legislative end. Would you want to maybe um, to highlight the the training that you have? There's a Georgia training and then a national policy training coming up in yeah. January. Yeah, I think they're both later this month. What I can do is um, is get a link to those. And if, it, if it's good or with you, I can either send it to you or I can post it in the chat. Um, so that everybody can kind of click through, but I'm, I'm happy to send it to you or Michelle or somebody so that you guys can handle that however you want. Um, but yeah, we've got a Georgia specific advocacy training coming up at the end of the month. And then we have a national one for other states to be able to look at and look at how um, they can get involved at a grassroots level. Um, and so, um, and then in February, we will have our 10th or 11th advocacy day. And that is where people from around the state come together. We are going to meet in, can't remember the name of the church, but it is directly across the street from the Capitol and the front steps of the Capitol. We're going to meet there. We're going to do some training. We're going to highlight some of the policy initiatives that are in play this year. And then we will walk in a friendly manner. We will wear our purple scarves and we will walk across the street and a number of legislators will come over and speak to us while we're at the church and then we will walk over and break off and then we will go visit the individual offices depending upon how much we're allowed to kind of navigate through the Capitol um, and um, in, in, and visit the individual legislative offices that are for our communities where we live and be able to just kind of greet them, leave some information and that's been historically a really productive day. I mean, we've had probably a, a low of 350, 400 people, and we've had a high of 900 plus, um, depending upon the day, the weather, um, and what issues are at hand that particular time. And we will prepare everyone and have handouts and everything for everyone. So when you come, you will learn first, 
You will engage with legislators and those that are setting policy second. And then third, we will walk across the street again in a they're they're, they're very welcoming of us. Um, this is nothing about this has ever been confrontational. Um, so it's just a really easy way to let folks know that you care and that we're engaged. I, I also I remember. I think it, it was Johnny Isaacson's office a couple of years ago. I, I may have that wrong, but I remember when we were in D.C. and we were talking about this issue and, and we were asking, you know, how, how what does it take to get uh, a senator or legislators attention on an issue like this? They said, oh, the bar is far lower than you would think. And I said, you're kidding. I mean, what, what does that mean? They said, if we get 20, 30 calls about a particular issue over the course of a, you know, three to five day window, she said, somebody's running down the hall saying something's brewing and we need to get a handle on it quick. <laughs> um, and that was at a national level. So imagine the, the impact of a couple of hundred or several hundred people walking across for an hour and a half in a friendly manner, all with our purple scarves and, and information and going by the offices, um, it, it creates change. I mean, it, it creates change and it creates a, a, a good, healthy format to challenge anything that might occasionally need to be challenged. So we will definitely keep you guys abreast on that. There's things that can be done in between, but we've got those two trainings coming up and then our advocacy day, all of this that will occur in the next six weeks. Thank you. We definitely um, will be promoting that in our group and trying to get as many of us and activated and involved as possible for Advocacy Day. That's just that's exactly um, the type of actions that we're trying to take. And also, I know that some of our um, members have also mentioned to us, you know, with this election, all these elections coming up um, and vetting and stuff like that, what types of questions should we be asking certain people running for office? What questions should we be asking them about certain pieces of legislation? What is it that is urgent that we need to try to push? Is there a bill that you feel like that we need to be talking to people about, that we need to be promoting, that we need to be trying to put some action behind? You know, we're in the process right now. In fact, I think Kamala and Jamie and Faith may have already finished it, a meeting with legislators around the state um, with the governor's office, with the first lady's office and anyone that we could meet with to to kind of craft our five, you know, kind of legislative objectives and what our primary objectives are for this particular session. Um, they are. Um, and, and so I, I'm going to punt on that one a little bit and say, I will, again, be glad to share that. And we will have it. We have it in a handout and can get it to you. Um, they are they are almost every year they they are a combination of what we wished and hoped for and what we don't may not feel like is quite as an urgent relative to something else but every year part of the balance of that is saying a what is needed b what is obvious and b what and c what is possible um and so we vet that and run that through a lot of folks with our um with the in the community of folks that we engage with. And then we've just come back and finished our legislative objectives. And I'll, I will make sure that we get that to you. And that is a lot of what will be covered in the policy trainings. So you guys are on the front end of asking that question, but we can get you an answer in a really simple format. And you guys are exactly the kind of folks and action oriented group that 
that candidly there's enough of you guys that you could help shape issues um, probably more than you might realize with re- with relationship to this. With regards to questions, I, I may be a little jaded, um, and that is I uh, I struggle with questions asking asking people who are career politicians questions because I feel like they know exactly how to answer them to either tell me what I want to hear or make me be quiet. Um, one of the things that we have tried to focus on doing is saying, what have you done? What can you show us? Can, can you show me how this has been a priority for you rather than it will be tomorrow? And we're always happy for it to be a priority for somebody tomorrow. Um, but to keep from just getting the talking points, one of the things that we tend to do too is go to those who have been leading well on the issue and ask them to continue to lead well, because if it's an important issue to them yesterday, it's probably an important issue to them tomorrow. And so we've been really fortunate, again, around the state. We're not where we ultimately want to be, but we have made great progress and we've made enough progress that we ought to be thankful for it. It it has been substantive the way it is allowing services to interact with those who have been helped or escaped or rescued and need the services. And we have also been really grateful. I mean, our our attorney general's office through the governor's budget, being able to launch the human trafficking task force and begin prosecuting that again at a statewide level. Kamala, who is our executive director for the state of Georgia was the, the first human trafficking prosecutor for the state of Georgia under two attorney generals and was the chief human trafficking prosecutor for Fulton County. And to see the state re-engage again at that level is a really positive thing. And, um, and, and AG Carr um, has done a good job on this issue of digging in and staying the course. And also, I wanted to um, ask you about things that are specific and unique to Street Grace tools that y'all have uh, used to, to help in trafficking, um, one in particular being Gracie and the other um, that some of the parents might want to know about as well, listening in, would be uh, Help Locker uh-huh. on TikTok, if you have some information to share on that or just want to explain a little bit about those tools. Yeah, a couple of things. Um, one of the things that uh, that we, in, in conjunction with the Youth Leadership Academy and some of the youth initiatives that we've already mentioned, one of the things that we've tried to be really intentional about is not checking things off a to-do list, but trying to figure out how do we get the right information to the right people in the right way at the right time. Um, and, so, um, and so as we have continued to kind of build out some content uh, for the youth work that we're doing, one of the things that we said is, you know, TikTok, how do we engage? It's probably, those. probably a lot of you already know this, but it's just a cesspool, <laughs> okay? It is a cesspool of misinformation and inappropriate information. I'm sure there's some good in it somewhere, but it's a lot easier to run across the other stuff than it is the good. So part of what we said was, if, if there's 60 plus million users of TikTok in the United States alone, and the majority of them are between the ages of 12 and I think 21 or something like that, um, how do we get in the middle of all that truth and facts in a practical way that kids could utilize? So we said, let's see if we can pull it off. Let's open a TikTok account. So we have part of one of our, initi- one of our initiatives is Help Locker. Um, and so we opened a help, the, the account on TikTok. It's at Help Locker. 
Um, and we said, let's just try it. We haven't PR'd it. We haven't done any promo yet. We haven't launched it with BBDO. We haven't done anything yet. Um, it, we will over the next couple of months. Um, and so we said, let's get some information out there to see if it resonates. So without any fanfare, we've got 150,000 followers that have just organically and naturally um, chosen to follow. We've had over 3 million likes. A video vignette that we did a couple of months ago about the harmful effects of sexting or texting and sending inappropriate pictures has already had about 8.3 million views. And so we would okay, we've, we found a place where we're getting the right message to the right people at the right time in the right way, and they're receptive to it. So let's dig in a little bit more on this and see what we can do. So that's what we're in the process of doing. We actually have two young ladies that are, I think they are 15, that are going to start becoming the spokespersons or some of the spokespersons for our TikTok account and recording some of the venues um, in the video vignettes. And that will start later this month or in February. And we've begun to now start kind of building some resources around that. And the idea is in a school where the school were permitted, you can have a physical dedicated locker that would be wrapped on the outside with the TikTok information, we have a QR code that could be scanned for anybody that wanted information. And then inside of it would be information that would be available to kids. Um, what we're finding is that there's far more receptivity to, again, the use of technology in this issue. So one of the things that we're doing now is building more of an out so that it can be utilized by any school anywhere around the country um, and that we can go directly to kids and they can have a way to be able to A, access the information and then B, learn more in a setting that's not embarrassing for them. So you may scan a QR code in a couple of months and you may get back a response that says, hey, thanks for reaching out to the health locker. Um, are, are you trying to make a report for yourself or for a friend? You know, click this or here's seven other options. Do you want to learn more about the harmful effects of pornography? Do you want to learn more about how to make a report? Do you want to help identify, you know, or how to have a conversation with a friend? You click any of those particular buttons and then immediately you get a response from the health locker 24-7 with a handout or information that can help you. So if you're thinking or questioning this at three in the afternoon or three in the morning, you'll have access to information for help. So um, so that's one of the things that we're doing that we're really excited about it. We think it's gonna have a, a, a big impact and I think that we it would be far easier to underestimate the activity that will be occurring in, there in a year or two years than it would be to overestimate it. Second thing you mentioned was the use of technology. Um, you know, we have four pillars um, at Street Race, it's prevention, protection, policy, and pursuit. The pursuit is where this particular technology for transaction intercept or Gracie the chatbot falls. And that is, um, we have, again, with BBDO and with a number of other organizations and law enforcement um, input and input from the CDC have created this learning artificially intelligent chatbot and we have called her Gracie. Gracie is um, Gracie is able to negotiate prices, sex acts, in-call, out-call, and collects and captures all of this information. So if somebody reaches out from a decoy ad that they saw on the internet on some nefarious website, and they reach out and initiate a conversation, 
they think that they're talking to a 14 or 15 year old girl if that's what's um, if that's what's in the ad um, black white Latino Asian or boy um, and in the course of doing that um, they are sharing information making inappropriate and illegal requests and Gracie is capturing all of that information is texting in real time as if she's a human being that is sitting there responding to these texts and all of that information is set up established and recorded in a permanent file associated with that phone number and so at the end of that process where there's been this exchange um, and you know maybe the conversation fell off or maybe an agreement was reached that there would be a time to meet a couple of minutes later Gracie would then respond with a final um, message that says hey I just wanted to let you know that this entire conversation has been set up, recorded, and established in a permanent file associated with your phone number, and it's available to law enforcement. What you've just done is a felony in all 50 states of the United States of America is punishable by up to $100,000 and 50 years in prison. Um, and so it's kind of this moment where the person on the other end of the phone can stare at their phone. They can text back, but Gracie won't answer again. They can yell, cuss, scream and make all kinds of threats, but Gracie won't reply again, but it has been set up and established in a permanent file. And so, um, and so the, 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 the next really cool thing about that is later that day or the next day, depending upon the time and how it is set up, this person from a one-time phone number will get a text with a private list of resources, Christian faith-based overwhelmingly resources for help that will allow them to click to their state. They can read white papers about sex, inappropriate sexual behaviors, the harms from it, what sexual addiction looks like, pornography, harms of pornography. All of that is written by licensed professional counselors with specializations in sex trauma and things like that. Um, and they can click on their state and then can get web-based, in-person, remote, telephone resources that are available to them free and some are uh, some have costs associated with them and so there's this idea of if we can stop somebody before they act out and we can redirect that and end this that's part of ending sex trafficking right is that you get potential and future buyers to stop buying or not buy if if a felony's already occurred then there's consequences but if we can stop somebody before it occurs then we have an opportunity to do even more good, especially as we can redirect and move them into some sort of a place of restoration and maybe healing themselves. It is, it is dependent upon what research you look at. Um, you can argue about the percentage, but it's a fact that a large percentage of people who purchase sex have unresolved trauma themselves. That does not in any way justify the behavior, not in any way, but it's a reality that we have to deal with. And if we want to end this, we have to train and educate kids so that they can find their way out and know how to spot these. We have to put parameters in place that allow laws to be written, arrests and prosecutions to occur. We have to have deterrence measures that are in place that captures and stops those who you know, ignore all of the road signs. And then we have to have some level of restoration for the buyer of sex or the person who is struggling themselves. Otherwise, you don't have a comprehensive response. You just have a response. And in many ways, what we've proven over the last 20 years is that if we're not comprehensive, it's like a pothole in the road and you can just swerve and go around it. 
I just I love all the things that you mentioned and, and were speaking about. And I wanted to ask, just touch back again on the health locker. Um, so yeah. y'all said one thing that you're doing is that you are going into high schools and, and wrapping lockers and doing this, or is this is this something that y'all need um, the community to go into their schools and do this, or or is this something that y'all y'all are doing, or you could use our help with, or? We could, no, we could. The answer is yes to all of the above. Okay. Um, it is primarily designed for middle schools and high schools. Um, we do have the design and we have some sample lockers that have been done and put together. We're in the uh, stage now of putting together the full Help Locker account. Information is available on it at helplocker.org. Or if somebody is on TikTok and they're following and you know keeping tabs with their kids on TikTok, it's just at Help Locker and they'll see everything that we've kind of beta tested thus far. Okay, and we one thing that, that our group is really big on is just spreading the awareness of everything. Um, but we do want to do more hands-on things. Um, so something like that might be something our group could do in their communities, go to their schools and try to do that. Because we hand out flyers that have information on there. And I know we've okay. had information about the help locker on there um, and other tools and things for parents to be aware of. So. Um, but I think that that's a really great way to, to raise awareness in our community for our group to help y'all with. Yeah. I think that's great. No, I think that's great. I, I think, I think we're finding multiple ways to, uh, to enjoy, um, this relationship growing yeah. over time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, and we can talk more about that too, when you come back to our group, um, and we can, and we can think of other things that we can connect and work on. Um, also uh, one thing that I wanted to bring up, was that, you know, so many of us are outraged, of course, about the open border situation and the huge influx of illegal Im immigrants, but mainly it's the, the missing unaccompanied minors that has us concerned and worried and where they're being bussed and flown to all over in the middle of the night. So um, do y'all, I'm sure y'all see this as a growing concern, um, but is there something that we could, you know, be doing to to stop this? Is this something that um, is going to take a long time with legislation? Or do you think that this is something that we could stop in the short run? Or is it going to be the long run? Wow. Um, <clears throat> okay. So you're just going to go ahead and load that one on and ask. <laughs> well, I mean, I know we're doing I know we're doing, y'all are doing so much with the advocacy day and with the legislation and all of that. I just. Yeah, no, I think you just, I think you bring up a, an incredibly, um, it's a sad issue. It's a critical issue. And it is a, um, it is somehow become a massively political issue. It, it is no longer based on what's right or wrong. Um, and, and to be totally honest with you, it's above my pay grade. I have not been to the border. I, I know a few organizations that do some of that work and have, and when they have come back, they have been either incredibly discouraged and frustrated or just outright mad um, because it is a hotbed of vulnerability. If, um, if you had inappropriate intentions, um, it, it, it is, it, well, let me, it could certainly be considered a magnet right now for people that had inappropriate intentions. I um, I honestly don't know the answer to the question, um, and and it's not um, not that we don't care about it. It's just not it's it's not one of our you know kind of pillars right now. Um, and I'm hoping that it is 
an issue that has a political time limit on it. Um, what, whatever that means that either at some point we just realize this, this isn't working and there's enough of an outcry. This is one of those things that it, it was talking about early on where this, the only way I know to stop this is, is a change in political ideology or a community outcry that requires that it be addressed. Um, and so that's, I, I don't want to pretend to be an expert on that because I'm not, um, but you are absolutely right. There is no way you could look at that situation and not think that the, that it is a hotbed of vulnerability. And a lot of what is occurring down there is just tragic. Well, I wanted to um, also mention the fact of a lot of the research that y'all have done about the massage parlors and our group, we brought this up and mentioned this before. Um, yeah. and, and that's something that, you know, Michelle Sarkeesian, you know, in the John Creeks area, how they shut down massage parlors and that's something that our group is working on doing with local city councils and things like that. So um, how do you feel that that, since y'all brought so much awareness to that, how is that trend going? Is it y'all starting to see more, um, more coming in or are we starting to go in the right direction and slowing down? Yeah. <clears throat> no, there was this, um, there was this growing wave of, legitimate work and efforts that were taking place and then the pandemic hit okay and so that kind of derailed it but the good news if there is any in it is that when when you know the country shut down more than 90 percent from all the research i've seen more than 90 percent of the illicit massage businesses around the country shut down themselves now that doesn't mean that people didn't transition into you know other services or outcall or web-based or anything like that but the illicit massage industry um just like everything else took a gut punch it has come back it's not to full strength it's not where it was before from again from everything i've read and seen um we have in february a webinar coming up on the illicit massage industry i'm happy to share that with you we've got ourselves and then a couple of other organizations that have been fighting this kind of nationally um, and are on the forefront of that are coming together and hosting a webinar to kind of start to draw attention back around it again. Um, and so, um, and so again, happy, happy to share that with you. And that's a place that people can dig in a little bit. So I, it's not back to where it was from everything that I've read. Um, but, but it is free flowing and productive again. And, um, and I think it's the, the way that Johns Creek and, and Michelle and the folks there, and hopefully the way you guys are looking at what we are finding is city ordinances and city councils um, that are willing to address this issue in conjunction with law enforcement. Law enforcement can, can have a, a real impact in the space, but the challenge becomes if the, if the city um, ordinances and the things aren't in line, then you close it here and it opens across the street. Um, and so working through city councils, working through landlords, we've got some information um, and have done some partnership work with some other folks and some folks up in D.C. that have done a lot of this where it's a landlord education program. So where when, when you go in and you do research and you realize that this particular uh, spa that is three doors down from Publix and, you know, and right next to the beauty salon and the post office and everything else in the strip plaza and you go online and you realize that there are you know 17 illicit reviews online about what's taking place in there 
you capture that information and you nicely and politely um, giving everyone the benefit of the doubt, present that information to a land board and say, we are sure that you weren't aware that this was happening on your property. But here's, here's the key question again. But now that you know, what are you going to do about it? And how can we help? Um, and here's a letter from the chief of police and here's a letter from the attorney general's office or here's a letter from whatever the case may be. Um, and, and it creates a pretty compelling um, level of information. And there is a growing, um, there's a growing, there's growing evidence or mounting evidence that landlords are willing to look at that. Now you're always going to find, you know, a strip plaza here or there where whoever has it just doesn't care, doesn't want to know and didn't go pay any attention until the police come in and shut it down. Um, it just is what it is. But, but there are um, more and more people that are concerned about the communities that they live and work and play in and are willing to respond to that. Um, and so again, that may be something that if we can partner that, I love the fact that you guys keep stressing your action oriented. Um, so, so I don't want to, I don't want to take advantage of that, but that's one of those things that again, over the next couple of months, there may be some things that we can do together there as well that could, that can impact communities all around Atlanta. Uh, and we would, we would love to hear your ideas and to collaborate on that for sure. Um, okay. I wanted to, um, for those that were not on the call at the moment that we were speaking about the Suburban Horror Story project, um, if you would just briefly explain that again, if you if you will, and then if you want to, um, you can just wrap up by anything that you want to add, if there's um, something that we didn't discuss that you wanted to bring up, anything that's going on in the organization that we need to know about. And then there'll be someone out there listening that may have some questions for you if that's okay yeah absolutely um <clears throat> so suburban horror story is another one of those events that we did where we tried to look at things differently and ha say how do we do something with a community that makes this stick um not just draws interest but it makes people walk away changed and so one of the things that we did was we went in um through airbnb and rented a home and and took about a week or 10 days and converted that home with the permission of the owners, converted that home into a simulated sex trafficking operation. So the main floor and the upstairs of that home, every room in that house was converted to simulate a uh, sex trafficking operation. So we had rooms set up with computers where people were posting ads. We had the basement where people could come in and, 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 and select somebody that they wanted to be with just as if you were walking in and, you know, saying, I want this, this, and this. Um, every, all the way down to the finest detail, the family pictures that were hanging on the walls in the hallways were pictures of people who had been arrested in sting operations in Metro Atlanta the 12 months prior to it. And so what we did um, was that we invited people to meet us offsite, um, and then we gave a van tour of 10 or 12 people at a time and brought them over to the house um, and had them walk through the house and see it from the perspective of a buyer of sex. So this is what happens when these things happen. So we had key influential people, legislators, community leaders, um, business leaders, and things like that that were invited to kind of do this. It wasn't a broad open to the public. We couldn't, you couldn't handle that crowd, and it was a private home in a subdivision. So that is still available and is online at suburbanhorrorstory.com 
H-O-R-R-O-R, suburbanhorrorstory.org. It also is linked on the Street Grace website, as is the bus stunt, streetgrace.org. Um, love for you to take a look at that. A virtual 360 tour is available and some video vignettes and testimonials and stories um, are, um, are there. It's a, it was a really impactful event that we did. And it was what led up to us saying, okay, if, if, we can, if we can together with all of these partners pull this off, let's see if we can figure out how to get you know, a convoy of buses rolling down the interstate. Um, I, I think what I would say as far as how to get involved, the best way for us is we'll get the information to you guys on the training and on the advocacy day. Um, and, and for the webinar around the illicit massage industry. Um, for us, if you haven't been to go to streetgrace.org um, and just sign up for the newsletter to kind of stay involved, we, um, we, don't, we don't bombard you with a lot of information, um, but what we do is usually information that's about training and ways that you could engage and, and, and be a part of it. And I think if this is the first step and, and we do take some action together, um, then this is a beautiful, wonderful thing. This is, I, the longer I'm in this and the longer we do this, the more I'm convinced that real change takes place by calls like this in groups like this, um, whether it's a local church group or whether it's a group of active and engaged citizens that care about their communities. Um, and we would love to help and be a part of any of that. Um, my email is simple. It's Bob at streetgrace.org, bob at streetgrace.org. Um, if you've got anything, feel free to reach out. Happy to help get you connected or answer any questions we have. And if and if the question or where your heart is tugging on you is not what we do, happy to connect you with organizations that do. Um, there's, there's a seat at the table for all of us. Um, and so um, if you don't fill your seat, nobody else can. So we're happy to help you figure out how to do that or get you connected with groups that can. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you doing this on this evening of all evenings with the big UGA game going on. Um, and so now I'll just, I'll turn it over to those who are listening that if you have a question um, if, that you would like to ask Bob, if you could go ahead. Hey, I'll chime in for just a moment. Bob, it's so great to see you. You can't see me, but I can see you and I'm just delighted <laughs> that you're here. Um, I, I do want to just, first of all, commend Bob Rogers because one of the criticisms that has come about around this topic is that Atlanta is, was known as being uncooperative among groups. There are so many that are involved in anti-human trafficking and, you know, we just weren't known as really collaborative. And Bob has made every effort and you, you listeners and, and, and those who are watching this probably recognize Bob is, um, is all about the collaboration and all about solving the problems and bringing the various resources together that can get, get that done. So I just really applaud that. Bob, if you could just give a minute on where L Street Grace operates, because I only know the Atlanta, you know, metro area, and, yeah. and I, I knew it even before you were involved when Cheryl was running it, but you have taken it to several other places and that's because it works. So can you just give a minute on that? Yeah, we've been really fortunate over the last couple of years, and we have opened offices in Tennessee. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm actually sitting in Houston right now, and we've opened an office in Houston. Um, over, um, we are expecting um, in the next two weeks to get a, a substantial gift that's been committed that would allow us to use the technology. And over the next um, one to four years, 
be able to take that and deploy it into all 50 states. Uh, the top 300 and I think there's 326 cities in in America with populations of 100,000 or more. And so being able to deploy that in all of those cities and things like that. So for those of you that are on the call that are that are prayers, um, pray that that comes through exactly as it's been committed. And we will we will be able to begin launching the largest demand reduction initiative that's ever been done in the country that anybody we've talked to has. I mean, doesn't know anything close to it. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's an exciting time. We definitely look forward to hearing more about that. And we, we will get our prayer warriors on that. There you go. I, that, that would, we would be very grateful for that. Does somebody else have a question for Bob? Hey, Bob, I, I was curious, do you know what the date is for advocacy day? I don't want to say it. It's February and I don't remember it off the top of my head. I've got it on my laptop, but if I turn to do all that, I'm afraid I'll lose you or knock the computer off. Uh, but, but, a, but we will it, we will get that to you all so that either we can post it or you can post it with the training dates. And I, I can get all that to you uh, tomorrow. Oh, that's awesome. And is it something yeah. that people the RSVP to so you guys Absolutely. accounts and that sort of thing? Okay. That's right. That's right. We'll, we'll have It'll have a registration link to it. Okay. We've, um, we do have some people that may have already registered for that. That was, I think it was on y'all's Instagram account that we got a link for the, okay. the Georgia training day. Um, so, and I can, I can put that back out too as well. Okay. And then Bob, I was going to ask you a couple other questions with the health blocker, health blocker. Um, are y'all ready to launch that? Is that something that you need funding for? Is there a certain amount per school? That you kind of need to have funding for in order to put it in a school looks like we can do it for about 300 dollars a school if we um if we put a physical locker in it probably would run about 500 but to, to be totally transparent overwhelmingly um schools are tend tend to be a little more reluctant the administration does to do the physical locker because um, one of the things that every one of them says is that we're 118 lockers short already um, and so we can't do that, but we may set up a display in the lobby or in the office and then begin to utilize the technology to do it online. Um, so it is not fully funded, but we are funded enough to be able to get it launched and started. And we're looking um, for probably 12 or 15 schools in kind of the Gwinnett, Johns Creek area um, or, or so that we could get started in and, and test out the Youth Leadership Academy and the Help Locker over the next few months. So, so if you have anybody has a strong connection or a tie or an interest, or if anybody's a middle school or high school principal or administrator that might have an interest in it, would love to hear from them. Awesome. And do they, so do the Leadership Academy and that kind of go hand to hand and you put those in together pretty much? They do not have to. The, um, the help locker can stand independent, but where we go into a school to do the Youth Leadership Academy, we do bring the concept and the idea of the help locker with us because they, they just fit together so nicely and complement each other in the learning that's taking place. And with the Youth Leadership Academy, is something we could get maybe a flyer on or something like that and we could go approach our schools and ask yep. them if we, they'd be interested in We have one. Mm -hmm. Great, okay. Well, thank you. That's what I had a question about. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. No problem at all. Hi, Bob. This is Linda. I was just checking. Do you think that that would be 
I mean, I know you want to do it in schools, but do you think uh, the, the library system would be a place to do something like that? That, that? Well, we went to check the libraries to see if we could even have a table in there for Human Trafficking Month, the ones that we went to, and they didn't. They said that they couldn't do outside organizations, even though we aren't an organization, but I mean, yeah, you are. No, but. <laughs> no, you're right. And we have not had a lot of luck with um, what I would consider to be kind of government locations like that. Um, the school system we have, um, we um, we have done this in, in the um, Youth Leadership Academy. Absent the help locker, the content would still be available, but the Youth Leadership Academy is a great program or a great initiative for a youth group or a church or something like that though as well. So when you think about places that that can fit in, it can fit in nicely in a church youth group or something as well. And, and we have done that. The question I had was, I know you mentioned uh, Gwinnett and Johns Creek. Is that just because you're just doing it as a, um, as a, just a, te a test market? You don't want to go into other schools just yet? We are, yeah, two things. One is we have funding for them. Um, two is they are a little closer to home, and so it would be easier for us to be able to get to some of them initially. But if there are some other schools around Metro Atlanta, um, one of the things that we think is an ideal opportunity for the Youth Leadership Academy is that it allows a church, a business, or someone in the community to partner with a local school in their community. So it doesn't have to be proximity to street grades isn't critical. Um, it is, but but having a network of folks, or if you have somebody that um, you know wanted to adopt a school in their community, a middle school or a high school, was willing to give six or seven hours over a two or three month window of you know an hour a week or something like that um, over a course of seven weeks, that would take you through all of the modules and the graduation ceremony. So the other thing is, did you, were you looking for people to to lead the youth training in the schools? Or is it somebody from your organization that's going to run it? No, no, no. That's where we would look for somebody in the community, uh, somebody from a local church or a local business or a community, um, somebody in the community that wanted to partner with that local school in their community. We would train them how to do it, and we would give them the information and the, and the materials that they needed and that the students needed. Um, but no, we, we can't do it in all of the schools. It will only happen by multiplication and by us training facilitators. Did that answer your question? It did, and I had one more, but now I can't remember it, so I'll think about it for a second. <laughs> <laughs> then you and I have more in common than you might think. <laughs> that, that or you two are wondering the score of the game. <laughs> Well, Bob, I just wanted to thank you so much for tonight. And um, again, we've recorded this, so more of our members will have the opportunity to hear all of the information that you gave tonight. And we look forward to hearing more from you um, later in the month when you're visiting with us. And yeah. we will, and we'll come up with some more questions for you by then. And then you, we would love to just come up with some ideas of what we can do to maybe help launch some of these things in our area and our community would love to do that i i love again the fact that you guys are an action-oriented group really grateful for the time and uh, and just uh the way that you're involved involved and care so much about your community i'll get all this follow-up information to you uh tomorrow as well that sounds great thank you so much Absolutely. this is this is janie and how can we pray for you bob um, I, I think two things. Um, one is right now, pray that we would get um, that we would 
that we would find favor as we are talking to the schools and trying to put this information together. We would get connected with the right people um, that would have a heart for kids and a willingness to kind of step into this. On the technology front, um, no, I think it would be to do that and then and then honestly to pray that um, that this large gift that has been committed comes through in the next couple of weeks exactly as it's supposed to do. Um, because that will begin to open up doors nationally to have a, an incredibly meaningful impact uh, on this issue, which will continue to only strengthen the local work that we're doing. We will we will be praying for you at our. At thank our you. Meeting. Thank you for asking that. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Alexa. Yeah. Can I ask I one more question? Would you be interested in getting into? Um, Christian schools or just public schools? Oh, no, absolutely Christian schools. Thank you for those questions, everybody. I appreciate that. And we appreciate your time tonight. And you can go and enjoy and watch the game and 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 see the rest of what happens tonight. We'll all be watching and, I guess, holding our breath. There you go. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure to be with you guys. Really grateful for what you did.